0: Hey everyone, this is Becoming a Bible Nerd. I'm Carrie Hunt, and I'm so glad that you are joining us. We believe this ancient Eastern text was never meant to study alone, so we choose to do it in community. We will take one book a semester, one chapter a week, and really dig in to understand the context and the culture that the book was written in, so that we can better understand how to apply what God was saying to our lives. Our goal is to equip you and your community to fall more in love with Jesus because you have fallen in love with his word. This season, we're going through the book of 1 Corinthians, and today's episode is chapter 11, verses 17 through 34, the Lord's Supper. Um, This is the second half. Um, We're releasing both of these on on the same week, so I'm not really going to go through the announcements. We're going to dig right into the study because there's a lot to cover, and I want to preface this with this is something that I am still learning, but I am excited to share with you what I have learned and share with you some of the journey that the Lord has brought not only newly and I on, but some of our friends um, that we worship with. And it's been exciting. So we're going to pick up in verse 17, where Paul says, now I'm giving the following instructions and I do not praise you since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. Now, remember in the previous chapter where he talked about the head coverings, he says, now I praise you because you've always remembered me and kept the traditions just as I deliver them to you. But, then he has to bring some correction in. Now for the following instructions. I'm going to instruct you on some things, and I am not praising you on your behavior. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as the church, there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe them. There must indeed be factions among you so that that those who are approved may be recognized among you. This is all about recognition. Therefore, when you come together, is it not really to eat the Lord's supper for at the meal each one eats his own supper ahead of the others so one person is hungry while another one is getting drunk don't you have houses to eat and drink in or do you look down on the church of God and embarrass those who have nothing what should I say to you should I praise you I do not praise you for this He's coming down on these people because this is not the heart of Christ to embarrass other people, um, and to segregate and to to bring divisions a- among each other. And I think I get so emotional on this because I see in so many ways that we are the Corinthians. We're just like the Corinthians, and we 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 do we elevate people based on outward things, um, just like all of mankind. So, um, remember the thing to remember that these are house churches there is not they did not construct a big building and all of Corinth going to one place. These are churches that are meeting in people 's homes and some are very prominent people who live in Corinth just in the church- in church history um and in different resources, you find that some of these leading characters that you hear mentioned in the Bible that were of extreme wealth live in Corinth, and these houses had very large dining rooms, and some could hold up to 25 to 30 people, and then the rest would mingle in other quarters of the house. Well, services would have, they would include a love feast, which was like a potluck meal where everyone would come together and share, and this was a large meal that was held at the service, and it would always culminate in communion. The poor, to the poor, sometimes this would be their best meal of the week. And remember, we we talked about in one of the other chapters that um, there was suspicion that there was a great, uh, there was a great food shortage um, during this time. Um, also, one of the things that I've learned is that part of this culture of just eating together—I'm just talking about Corinthian dining. Um, habits is they would display their or orator- their oratorical or oratory skills during this time laying around the table. Now going back to chapter 1, we know that this is super po- popular. Um the people that had the best oratory skills were highly favored and their the Corinthian church is even bragging on who they follow based on their oratory skills. And so you would sit around the table and you would show off um with your oratory skills, but There was some rules to this that um, only topics could be discussed that everyone could participate in. And so it just got me wondering, I mean, I I found nothing on this, but it just got me wondering if that was part of the segregation. Ooh, I need to show everyone how wonderful I am so that my status will rise and I can impress people. I can make a name for myself, but we can only talk about certain things. So I don't want any of the poor people there that aren't going to know anything about this, um, because then I won't be able to impress people with the topics I choose. I don't know. These are just things that are popping in on my head, in my head, Typical Corinthian fashion, these, this large supper, this um, agape meal was used to bring themselves glory. Shame on them. The rich held back their food for themselves and selected members. Some of these people were even getting drunk. It's a disgrace. So moving on in verse 23. Paul goes on and says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed down to you on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord took the bread, gave thanks, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper, he also took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant established by my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. In remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So, what Paul is saying, you got to remember, they didn't have a New Testament where they could read about this and say, oh, okay, in Matthew chapter whatever, the Lord is telling his disciples to to do this. So Paul has talked to them about that, and he's reminding them that he received this information from the Lord, either on the road to Damascus or when he was in Arabia for three years. Um, and a couple of things that... um Um, A couple of things I want to point out is that Jesus commands us. He commanded his children to do this and to remember him. This is one of the only memorials um, that we are commanded to do. And I also want to point out there's there's three things that we need to look at. In verse 24, he says, do this in remembrance of me. So we are to look to the past and remember and to be grateful he goes on to say this cup is the new covenant. So we are also to look to the present. There is a new covenant, a new establishment by God's blood or by Jesus's blood. And then three, we are to when we do this, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. So we are to look to the future to our blessed Hope. That's something I feel like has been lost in our church culture is anticipating his second coming. It's going to be beautiful, and I can't wait, and I think it's going to be soon. So, before we go on to the self examining part, I'm just going to share with you, and it's going to be a little while, a personal testimony about the journey that the Lord has taken Newly and I on, along with some friends of ours, um, in rekindling a. a whole new view, a whole new mindset on the Lord's Supper. So I'm just kind of looking at my notes because I do want to have some order to what I'm telling you. Months ago, over a year ago, I heard someone on a podcast. I mean, I just listened to to podcasts while I'm getting ready. And I heard someone mention um, the term love feast and um, it just it just kind of sparked some curiosity inside of me and I think I googled it real quick and I learned that's where I learned that oh that the the early church when they met Met together to for worship, they also ate together in this this feast, and it culminated in the lord 's Supper so that 's all that I knew about it well um, then I made an investment in the anchor Bible dictionary, and I think i 've talked about this before. It is like a set of encyclopedias that tell you in detail, like for pages about a specific topic in the bible and um, the the guys at walking the text whenever I would ask them some theological questions before I teach you guys to make sure I was tracking right. They would usually send me articles from this and quoting it. And so it's an investment, but I made the investment, got a, a secondhand set. And so that was the first thing that I looked up. Whenever they came in, I was like, oh, I'll look up Love Feast. And boy, I just sat down and was blown away um, by the information that it gave me. But one of my biggest takeaways was how they, they, they practice this. You know, in the tradition that I come from, you very quickly pass this this platter and in it there's these little plastic cups and on top of it is a wafer. So you just peel everything back and then you wait and the pastor gives you instructions and you take it all at the same time. That's the only way that I knew it. But I loved how the early church did it and we were actually getting ready for an event. We had two of them where it was called Bible Nerd Nights and we were just getting out and worshiping under the stars. We had worship, word, and communion. I knew that as I was reading this, we were going to, to have communion and we're going to take it this way like the early church. And it was just a sense of community and it was so symbolic. And it really, I think what I loved about it is it made you just pause and think deeper instead of just whatever it was that I was thinking before I took it. So this is what they would do. Each individual would pour their own wine or grape juice. This is grape juice, but it doesn't really matter. They would pour it and that symbol that that action um was to them how a, a picture of god's blood or jesus's blood being poured out to us but now they're saying lord jesus i will in return pour my life out for you so it's twofold you're remembering the blood of jesus but in the action of pouring your own juice you are making a commitment between you and god to pour your life out as a living sacrifice to him. And then the bread, I love, I think this is my favorite part. Um, this is unleavened bread and it, it's homemade. And so this is how we, we did it. It's way more tastier than that little stale um, wafer that you get. But they would have one loaf of bread. And while this was a picture of God's body broken for us so they would remember the past, They were also in the present of the new covenant. Now the church is one body, one loaf of bread, the picture one, but it's broken off into many parts. And so as they took it, it was a reminder that Christ's body was broken for our sins, but it was also a reminder that we need to operate as one. I'm one little piece and that piece, I need to play my role because that piece fits in perfectly with the whole to accomplish the expansion of the kingdom. And it's not me and just my gifts being a lone ranger. It's, it's, I need my gift, but I also need all these other gifts to accomplish God's kingdom. So the very picture of the bread is that there's not one person elevated and one person that's going to get the glory and one person that's going to get the attention. It's all of us equally needed to accomplish God's goal. God is literally uh, shattering division. And I'm looking for the word that I used in um, my notes. Um, he, he's He's literally... Shattering this division and this elitism, and this um, look at me. Whenever he gave us the picture of one body, many pieces, one loaf, many pieces. So then they would all take together, they would be thankful, and they would take this together. And it was really a special time. So We began, after doing this, the Lord had compelled newly to do this as often as every week. So we are in a season of life where we we are searching, um, asking God what our next steps are. And in doing so, we we know that God is calling us to something, but we were just taking a rest from ministry and we were seeking him. And in that time, we had a group of 30-ish people say, well, what are y'all doing on Sunday mornings? We're like, we're just going to do church um, in our home just for a short season, um, you know, just seek God and see what's next. And before we even had a Sunday morning, these, these, um, different families said, well, that's what we we're feeling called in that same season. Do you mind if we come? So newly, when they started saying, said, We're to do communion every week. I mean, we have told them, we don't know what this looks like. We don't know what God is calling us to. We're just in a season of seeking him and resting, but we know he's calling us back to some basics. We're going to study what the early church did. Um, We've been in the book of Acts for this entire year. And in doing so, we are going to take communion weekly. And he didn't really... No why, but that God was calling to this. Well, that created um, some people in the gathering to say, oh, well, we've never really thought of this. We've never experienced this. Um, And they were like brands, let's go research. And then the team just started bringing these beautiful truths from church history to life. And we began to teach one another. And together as a group, we've experienced this beauty of something God has commanded us to do. So we are going to go back to early church history um, and what did they do? That was the question that our group asked. That's what we're discussing today. What did they believe? Well, for the first 1,000 years, the church was one. You didn't have all these denominations. The first 1,000 years after Christ died, the church was seen as one. We see this in Acts where Paul is just planning new homes, but it's all one church. He keeps going back. He's collecting money from one, sending it to another because they are all one. It's not Baptists and Catholics and Methodists and Lutheran and non-denominational and assembly of God. It's just the church. It's just people, the Christians following Christ. Do you, do you get that? Are you with me? Are you tracking with me? 1,000 years. In 1054, there was a great schism. I'm not going to go into that. You can research it, but that's when the branches started break started to break off. But we are going to talk about that first 1,000 years. Communion was at the center of every service. It started off at the love feast. They would all study God's word and, and enjoy singing and praying. And somebody would share a word and they all ate at a table. I don't know if this all, the service might've happened around the table. I haven't discovered any instructions on that, but the meal would culminate with the, the, um, communion. So as the church grew, they needed buildings as christianity grew and then also just as society changed the buildings became more important but the table stayed at the center i'm getting ahead of myself so before we dig in i want you to ask a couple of things what do we believe about communion well truly what you believe is your tradition what's been passed down to you but this morning, we're going to go back to the Bible, what we know it says, along with early church fathers in history. Um, how often are you supposed to take it? Well, that's usually according to your tradition. How much priority does your tr- your gatherings place on this? And what does your tradition believe about it? How do they practice it? We want to know the truth, don't we? What the Bible says. So in going back to... um anything that you study in scripture, if, if you want more clarity, it is always good to go to the earliest source of believers connected with Christ. So you had the, you had Christ, you had the disciples and then the disciples started discipling other people and we have their writings on what they believe. So do you see that when I say early church fathers, these are the the closest that writings that you can get apart from, the gospel so these people are just one two three generations of disciple makers um, from paul and the apostles and every one in the early church believed in the presence of christ um somehow in some way being associated with the bread and the cup it was more than a symbol to them and It really was a mystery, and they were okay with the mystery. A couple of things that um, it is called. It's called the sacraments. That includes communion along with baptism. In, In some faiths, it's known as the Eucharist, which literally means thanksgiving. So I think that that's a sweet title for it. And in today's discussion, what the early church usually referred to it to was the table. So I just don't want to repeat myself. So we know that they would gather around the agape meal and it would conclude in the Lord's supper. And then as the, the church grew, they moved into buildings where the table was set in the front and center of the meeting. And it was called the Lord's table and it would contain one loaf of bread, wine, and the Lord, and, and the word of god some scrolls or as things got published like later in this tradition because it's a thousand years remember so later scrolls turned into the printed word of god and so the word would be on it but it took center stage and a modest pulpit would be found somewhere off center usually to the left this is not what i'm talking about is not a roman catholic thing it's an early church non-divided thing, the first thousand years. Then in 1517, so we know that there was a great schism after the thousand years and things started to change. Now we're going to fast forward to 500 years after that schism. The Protestant Reformation came in, and while things certainly needed to be reformed, Protestants had rejected the Roman Catholic belief of trans transubstantiation transubstantiation I don't know how to say that that belief is where the elements of the bread and the and the wine literally change into Christ's actual blood um, and body and partaking in the Lord's Supper would provide salvation this came along in the Enlightenment period now don't lose me here I'm not saying that that's what I believe that this is what the Roman Catholics believed and this is what Protestant the Protestant, Protestant Reformation started fighting against. This is just a freebie. I thought it was super um, interesting. There was a Latin word, hoc est corpus. So H-O-C space E-S-T space corpus, C-O-R-P-U-S. And that was the phrase the priest would say when they anointed the table and And they believed that there would be that, that switch into the actual body and blood. And that word came to be known as hocus pocus. Thought that was interesting. When, um, now we can't, it it was as if the church now was saying, we can't just have a mystery. We have to define it. Remember, it's the enlightenment. We have to define it. And so this has to be the actual body and blood of Christ, Well, I believe believe that this is a misunderstanding of the context in John 6 when Jesus says, Whoever feeds on my flesh or drinks my blood has eternal life. They took that to mean, Oh, if we actually eat that, then there will be salvation. That is in John 6. That is not not connected in any way with um, the end of John where Jesus is having the Lord's Supper. This is a talk that he is giving saying you have to be all in. I need you to be all in and that his... Body and flesh are going to be broken on the cross for salvation. So that talk was about the cross. We're talking about the Lord's Supper that happens at the end of the chapter. So because of this Protestant Reformation, different beliefs broke off. So you had the, the Martin Luther, who founded the Lutherans. He, they believed that Christ's body and blood are in union with the bread and cup, that his body is under, is with, is over the elements I don't really understand that, but that and to them, it was different than believing that the elements literally changed. They just believed his presence was there at the table. John Calvin had his own interpretation of what was happening. The table is a spiritual feast which sustains and preserves our union with him, who is the bread of life, and they have a long explanation that you could look up if you wanted. I didn't really quite understand it. And then there was is the more common memorial view. It's like a wedding ring. It is just strictly symbolic. I will say that in my studies, the early church for the first thousand years did not look at it as symbolic, but they didn't define it like John Calvin, Martin Luther, or even the Roman Catholics did. They just believed that it was a mystery and they were okay with with the mystery. So, in this memorial view which is prevalent today in most of our traditions, they believe that it was like a wedding ring that the it just merely is a symbol. Um this movement was led by Ulrich Zwingli and in 500 years after Jesus's death, Ulrich pushes the table aside this table had been the front and center of all congregations of churches for 1500 years he pushed it aside and he set his pulpit up so now in that moment man took center stage and he has for 500 years now I will say this came at a time, Ulrich, it came at a time where the word had been put aside. There had been this belief that only the hierarchy of the church could read it. They wouldn't translate it into the common language and they made people feel inferior and you had, and there was a lot of corruption in the church. So I give him that. We are going back to the word, but poor Ulrich, he swung too far in the wrong direction, putting man center stage. So the one thing that was there to unite the capital C church, the church all over the one thing that united them every um, time they got together they were going to sit and they were going to partake in the lord's supper and i've already gone with you i mean such a beautiful meaning that i'm going to pour my life you got to participate i'm going to pour my life out just like you poured your blood out i'm going to break a piece off just like your body was broken i'm just one piece of the puzzle and all of these people are are with me on the team and we need to all lock arm to accomplish the gospel all of that is pushed aside and now just like in the Corinthian church, one man is going to be elevated above all. Um, we we see that in the early church in Acts that they devoted themselves to this thing. This is what they were devoted to. And in an instant, it's pushed away. Now, what gets praised today when you leave a church service? It, it's very often, I mean, guilty, guilty as charged oh wow that pastor was on point today or oh we have the funniest pastor oh he, he's such a good communicator or the worship team really brought in the presence of God and, and we give all the accolades to the worship team which don't get me wrong God inhabits the praises of his people God's presence can be there but man was never never meant to take center stage now Francis Chan um, I had started on this journey and the Lord had shown us so much I've already given you all of that history but I've kind across some Francis Chan teaching and the Lord has taken him on the same journey and he's a wealth of knowledge because he's several years ahead of this and I I do want to say I was listening to him talk about this and he read somewhere where (laughs) Zingley the man that pushed the pulpit aside later in life had a a regret a great regret for overcorrecting this much guys the early church didn't have cutting-edge concerts they didn't have um all the things that we have today, and don't get me wrong, I love a good worship set, but God's presence still permeated their meetings. Through worship, yes, but also through the table. You can train yourself to come to the table expecting God's presence. And it. And I was challenged by this. I was listening to some teachings on Remnant Radio. They, they, there's these two charismatic pastors that want to be balanced. Hey, like our charismatic belief system is only a few hundred years old, and some of it can get wild and crazy, but let's go back to the context of scripture, and let's work this out. And one of them, the the Lord had taken him on this journey, and it's just so exciting whenever you start studying, and then you're running into other people, and you see, oh, God is moving throughout the earth. He's bringing awareness, he's opening eyes, and he's bringing us back to the heart of what he wants, how he wants to be worshiped. So one of the pastors was explaining that, you know, he had been trained through his charismatic upbringing that God's presence is in worship and you would just feel his presence and be moved. And he's like, to be honest with you, I never felt it that passing the communion cups, you know, just took it and never thought about it. But in his study, he was like, God, your presence is there. I'm going to lean in and... He really began to experience a a, a weight of God's glory in taking communion. And so I challenged myself, like, I'm going to lean into this. And I've had the most beautiful moments with the Lord, feeling his presence tangibly in these moments. But it's something just like in worship that you've been trained to expect and to feel same thing can happen at the table. And God has commanded us to do this. It's something so precious to him. And the early church for a thousand years did it religiously and not in a bad word. They did it often every single week with it being the front and the center. So um, I love on on Roman Radio, listening to Pastor Roundtree, he said that he had a friend that would leave some services sometimes and say, I don't know if God was in that sermon, but he was definitely in the table. For goodness sakes, let's not push communion aside because we have a guest speaker. We have something more important to tell the congregation. Let's, let's just move us from the center of the service and let's put the table and what God had wanted back to the center. The early church, one church, 1,000 years, didn't try to define it. They just took Jesus at his word. This is my body. This is my blood. And they were okay with the mystery of it. The Holy Spirit was there. He was there. Now, I know that some of you are thinking, well, the Holy Spirit resides inside of us, so he's there all the time with us. And that is true, but there's something real and sacred and spiritual happening at the table. I want to show you where I get my thoughts on that. In this passage of the Lord's Supper, there is the Greek word koinonia that Paul uses for communion. In fact, this word koinonia... He has used quite a bit over the past few chapters. Um, he tells us not to have any participation with um, demons and, and works of darkness. That word is koinonia. He he has used it over and over again, setting us up for this one moment. He uses this word koinonia in reference to the Lord's supper or communion, as we call it. It's all the same word. And this word koinonia, get this, it means participation with Christ that is what communion is you are participating with christ in worship you're worshiping in the teaching you're learning but in the table you are participating with christ you are in partnership with him another word is fellowship to share what one has in anything and i love the last meaning it means intercourse now intercourse between a man and a woman is a picture of God being our groom and bride it's it's that oneness it's that fellowship it's that intimacy that is like no other so i don't want us to get freaked out because god gives us a picture of marital int- intimacy to give us a picture of the intimacy that he longs and desires for us and so in the table here on this side of eternity we get to have that intimacy with him it's participation with christ at his table now please don't say that we don't have time for this this we've got to make time there is um there is an urgency that god is calling the church back to this intimate intimate moment the table has been i i, I, re, I put this quote out that i had read in preparation for this that the table has been moved at least in our hearts to the side of the sanctuary it's time to put it back front and center. Um, The context is being unified with one body. And it is reminding us when we take the bread that we are all one body and we are seated at his table. This is his table. And for now on the side of eternity, it is a picture of the marriage supper of the lamb that we are to look forward to when he returns. Now we are to approach the table with a new perspective and I want to finish up the teaching because this next part is super important. We don't have a lot of instructions on the Lord's Supper. We know that this started as a Passover meal um, for before Christ to remember the salvation that God provided through Moses leading the children to the um, Wilderness, I talked about this um, two podcasts ago, but then Jesus did the last Passover meal and said, now there's a new covenant and I want you to do this in remembrance of me on the cross because I am the true salvation. And so since then, people have been doing it often remembering him. So we know this from the gospels. There's this last supper in the gospels. We know a little bit about what it looked like. And then now Paul gives a warning about it that we need to listen to. He says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. So a man should examine himself. In this way, he should eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are sick. Among you and many have fallen ill and have fallen asleep. That's another word for dying. If we were properly evaluating ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we may not be condemned with the world. That discipline is a sweetness so that you're not condemned with the world, but so that you'll change your ways. Repent, return back to him. Therefore, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home so that when you gather together you will not come under this judgment and i give and i will give instructions about the other matters whenever i come so he's ta- saying do this now and about the other things you wrote about i'll give you instructions when i get there let's talk about a couple of things um in the last session i said we're to look for to the past we are to remember and be thankful for the work on the cross, we are to stay in the present, to to realize that we are under a new covenant, we are to look to the future, remember it says, and um, we will proclaim the Lord's death until he returns, and the last thing was found in this section, we are to look within, so we are to examine ourselves, because we do not want to take the Lord's cup in an unworthy way, now one of the things I want to point out is, notice it says, don't take it in an unworthy way, Unworthy way. He's not saying don't take it if you are unworthy. That's two different things. It's the way that you take it. You've got to examine yourself. In this context, the unworthy way was remembering Christ's selfless love and all that he had done for us and for mankind, all the while dining with division and emphasis on your own self worth and your own status making other people feel humiliated and embarrassed because they weren't good enough to get into that main dining room and take it and not even saving any for them and being drunk while doing this. We are to love our neighbor. It's about selflessness. It's about love. It's about meeting the needs of one another. Why? Because we are one body. That's the examining that Paul is warning about. Other things that we can examine that has been part of church tradition that are good things are inward things about us. We are to take this seriously. We are to come to the table, not um, frivolously, not just routinely, like not putting much thought into it, not um, religiously, but with a repentant, thankful heart. I will say, take the extra step and examine, okay, I'm treating everyone here as my brothers and sisters, like if we're part of one body. So if they're wounded, I'm going to go take care of their needs just as I would my own body. But at the same time, I am going to look inwardly. What what areas of my heart, Lord God, expose them? What areas of my heart are not reflecting you? Because I want to look more like you. Um, also, I don't want to just approach this table, and um, there, there was a testimony at, in the group of friends, as we've been studying this, there was a couple that would give each other a cheers, and they got deeply convicted, and I'm not saying, I don't know if the Lord was upset with that or not, but in the reverence, in the holiness, and the seriousness of this, they were convicted, and they were like, we're to be doing other things besides cheering each other and making a joke out of it. We are to be really examining ourselves and and taking this as a sacred, serious moment. Um, bottom line is and in in all of this, the thing that I want you to walk away from is that there is a seat at his table. This is called the table. There's a seat for you there. It's for everyone to approach it equally um, as one body. There's not divisions. There's not a man getting the glory. The focus is on the Lord. The remembrance is on the Lord. But then we're also reminded that we are to pour our lives out, to be crucified with Christ, that we're one body. So my brothers and sisters of equal importance. In fact, I need them. I'm not meant to be a Lone Ranger. So how can I work better with them? But Everyone has a seat at this table, and it's for us to look forward to his return, and it's to remind us that there will be a marriage supper of the Lamb. I hope this made sense. Again, I am still learning. There's so much that I'm learning, but I did want to share the beauty of what God has revealed um, through his word, through the early church in this. So I encourage you, this is also something that you can do at home. You know, I, I, I spent the early part of this year in this new transitional phase um, reading a book that someone had sent me and it really honestly sat on my dresser for a couple of months until someone else started sending me the same author had was releasing things on, on on Facebook, just encouraging words and someone else was sending me them and saying, God, just what he's saying. I feel like it's directed towards you. Well, one day I connected the two. The author of this book, Wild Ones, is the same um, author from these words of encouragement on Facebook. And so when I read it, um, we're, he was encouraging us that God is calling his, I mean, time is, is getting near and God is calling his church back to its roots, back to the book of Acts. It's kind of gotten out of hand, um, with celebrity and status and our church is better than you. All the things that I talked about in episode one, and he's calling us back to our roots to love one another, to love him, to serve our communities. And, um, he said in this, it's a pioneering of people having to bring the church back to that. And so he's talking, it's a letter to the pioneers and, um, In this, every chapter, he says to take communion often. So this is something that we can even do in our house um, for our own personal um, time with Jesus. I encourage you to do it. I encourage you to approach the table with reverence in your own, um, bodies of congregation. If you have a voice into the leadership of your church, if you are in the leadership of your church, I do highly encourage you. You don't have to do it every week. There's nothing in scripture that says you have to do it every week, but I do encourage you to have a different perspective on it. Let's not just see where we can fit it in because we have more important things to do. Let's put, let's make it important because it was important to Jesus. And, um, anyway, I hope this, this was an encouraging insightful message for you. I know that has really changed um, my family and my friends and um, even um, some other people that we've been able to introduce this to. So um, I'm just excited to share it with you, but I'll see you next week. Happy reading.